Good morning, whole family. Great to be with you this morning. You know, I uh, nothing personal to doctors here, but I do not like to go to the doctors. Anybody? I, I hate needles. I've always had a phobia of needles. I remember one time as a young adult, I, was, I just got a shot. Just went in there, just got a simple shot. And all of a sudden the room started getting dark, right? And everything started going... Fortunately, the nurse was close enough that she caught me before I landed on the floor. Every time I have to give blood, I got to lay down. I got to lay down. I was a youth pastor and I went to pray with a girl before her surgery. And so I was in there just talking to her right before I was ready to pray. And the nurse came in and started, you know, putting in the IV. Yeah, not great. The other nurse came in to help me uh, and sit me down with some orange juice because she could see that all the blood was just draining out of my body. But you know what? I, I, I wanted to face my fears. You know, fear factor kind of thing. I wanted to face my fears. So I went and I gave plasma. Yes, I did. I gave plasma. I was walking out of that clinic. I was giving myself high fives. I was so excited. Like, I did it. I did it. So I went and had lunch with a friend in old Chicago sitting in the booth there. And he asked me about it. And I started telling him about it. And all of a sudden I wake up and he is slapping me on the face, yelling my name. And I am drenched in sweat. I had passed out just telling him about it. On a wiener. And then you know what? I get diabetes. Okay. So initially it's just, you know, medicine, diet, exercise. But they realized that a virus had attacked my pancreas and it was slowing down. And I was going to need to start giving myself insulin. I looked at the doctor like, are you serious? Like, I've got to give myself like five plus shots every day. I remember the very first one. I had the needle right there about an inch away from my stomach. And it took me like 15 minutes. I'm like, God, this cannot be happening to me. This cannot be true. Well, after uh, me being diabetes, my daughter having cancer, my other son getting diabetes, Deanna with her rock and roll kidney stones, we've had our fair share of the doctors. You know, but uh, God used those doctors, heal my daughter, help me and my son manage our diabetes, get rid of Deanna's stones. You know, you go there and they do all that poking and frauding and when you're 50 they stick instruments where they don't belong we won't go into that but but their goal right is to bring health to bring you into health why do i say that this morning well this morning is kind of like going to the doctors the passage that we're going to look at that wraps up our series on the sermon on the mount it's uncomfortable it's got some very challenging parts. You may feel like spiritually you're being a little poked and prodded. But these words come from the one who is known as the great physician. And he wants you to have the fullness of spiritual health. And that's why he says these words. As Jesus finishes the sermons, he's going to invite them to respond how he invites them to respond is with a repentant life. There is no other adequate response to Jesus and his gracious offer of the kingdom, which he's been preaching about. 
than with a repentant life. He not only illustrates this with one point, not two, not three, but four examples he uses so that we don't miss this crucial point. When Jesus began his public ministry, we read in Matthew 4, 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of God is near. What does repentance mean? Well, a repentant heart is one that comes to acknowledge that it has lived life apart from God that it has disobeyed his laws and his morals and his commands, and it has done its own thing. And because of that, a repentant heart acknowledges and begins to mourn because you know the brokenness that that has caused you in your life, those around you, and it has broken the heart of God. And so a repentant heart is one that looks to God and seeks his forgiveness his mercy and grace, which we have in Christ Jesus. But not only that, it's a heart that longs to be different. You don't want to just get forgiveness and keep living the same life that you were living. It's a heart that longs to be different, to live differently with the strength of Christ. We know that we've lived life on our own terms. We've conformed to the ways of this world. A repentant heart longs to be different to live differently, to be transformed by God's presence. And so Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God to people who do not deserve it, who cannot earn it, but with open hearts, repentant hearts, can receive it. It is an offer of grace that makes any life blessed. The only adequate response to Jesus' gracious offer of the kingdom is with repentant lives. That's the main point. Let's see how Jesus illustrates this four different ways. Follow along as I read from Matthew 7, beginning with verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. For many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come in in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and perform miracles? But I will say to them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. 
Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. First example that Jesus gives is the example of two paths. And this is a very popular Jewish example you find throughout the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Proverbs, a calling that there are two paths. And one path is wide, and the gate is wide, and many are walking in it. This path was created when Adam and Eve rebelled against God. It is a path that says, God, I don't need you. And I certainly don't need you to tell me how to live. I can do this on my own. Paul states this in Ephesians 2, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to walk or you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived them among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Jesus said, this path is broad and it's easy, attractive, but where does it lead? It leads to destruction. And the sobering reality is that many are on it, Jesus says. But Jesus came to offer a different path. This path, he says, is narrow. And the gate is narrow. And at times they may not feel very appealing or easy. It can be challenging. But Jesus said, this is the path that leads to life. It was the path that he was offering. He is the way and the truth and the life. He is the gate that we enter. You see, Jesus is pushing the point there. You can't remain neutral about me. You must make a choice. And by not making a choice, you're making a choice. He says, one of those paths include me and the other one doesn't. A repentant heart seeks to live on the path and walk on the path with Jesus a repentant heart no longer wants to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the presence of Christ and His holiness, keeping our eyes on Him. You know, that's the idea of repentance. It's turning 180 degrees. We were walking on this path, but Jesus now invites us to walk on this path with Him. The only adequate response of Jesus' gracious offer of the kingdom is with a repentant life. And so maybe the doctor would ask you some spiritual diagnostic questions. 
Do you care more about God's opinion or the opinion of others, your peers? What's more important, God's view or the view of those on social media? What's more important to you? Are you being more conformed to this world or transformed by Christ? The second example is that of two trees. Jesus uses the the plant uh, kingdom. A tree will only bear the kind of fruit of what kind of tree it is. A pear tree, genetic testing aside, <laughs> will only bear pears, not apples. Uh, a coconut tree will not all of a sudden start producing bananas. Jesus said, either you are a good tree or a bad tree, good fruit or bad fruit. But the reality is we are all bad trees apart from Christ. We're all bad trees. We all produce selfish, sin-tainted fruit because we have selfish, sin-tainted hearts. The Bible calls that our sin nature. But the good news is that when Jesus came, he offered to make us a new tree. Not only does he forgive us for the bad fruit that we produced, but he offers us a new nature, a new heart from which can spring forth good fruit. Listen to how Paul put it in Ephesians 4. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, the old tree, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, this is what a repentant life looks like, putting off that old and beginning to live out of the new nature, the nature of Christ that God gives us and producing the fruit of righteousness and holiness. You know, sometimes this fruit takes a while, but Jesus is saying eventually it will become evident of what kind of tree you are. You know, these were false prophets, but they were speaking for God. You might have heard them and thought, wow, their words sound good. But Jesus said that makes no difference. It was the fruit that their lives were producing showed just the opposite. The only adequate response to Jesus' gracious offer of the kingdom is with a repentant life. So maybe the doctor would ask you this, do you long to be like Jesus? Are you growing in holiness? What kind of fruit are people tasting from your life? Do you long to have the, the Holy Spirit who Jesus gives us as a precious gift alongside of our new nature to create in us the fruit of the Spirit, which we looked at this summer. 
to create in us love, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Maybe you grew up in a home that had a bad temper. Maybe you got a bad temper. You just want to say, well, that's who I am. Jesus, but that's who you were. But he gives you a new nature so that you can live out of it and produce good fruit. The third example is that of two professions. One was professed with just words alone and the other one with their lives. You see, it's easy to mimic religious routine, go through religious services and say things. These people were saying, Lord, Lord. I mean, they were calling Jesus Lord. But Jesus said that didn't mean anything. He says two things about them. First, that they were living against the law or without law. Their lives were being lived as if there were no law from God. They were living their own life in their own way. He says that they were evil doers. And the second thing he says is, depart from me. I never knew you. That word no is a word of intimacy, relationship, a deep relationship. Jesus said, I, I didn't know you. There, there was no relationship between us. You know, when you, when you get to know someone, like, you know, really get to know them, you get to, you get to know what, you know, what's important to them, what they value, what they care about, what they think about. And Jesus said, if you would have taken time to get to know me, you don't know that one of the most important things in my life was doing the will of God. Jesus actually said his fruit or his food, his food was doing the will of God. I mean, think about how often you think of food. I think about it quite often, you know. But that's how Jesus, that's how often he thought about doing the will of God. That's what was passionate about him. And he said, if you knew me and you, you had a relationship with me and, and allowed me to come into your life and impact you, that would have become important to you to do the will of God. And so that's why Jesus says, depart from me. You will not enter the kingdom of heaven because you did not do the will of God. Because you didn't really know me. John writes it this way in his little letter, 1 John 2. We know that we have come to know him. How, how, how do we know? If we obey his commands. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. As Jesus did. Following him. Allowing his presence to impact us the very core. Jesus is looking for a decision from you about the offer of his kingdom. But it's not just with words. It's not just with raising a hand, signing something. Sometimes we like to just give people easy insurance. You raise your hand, oh good, you're covered. You got fire insurance now. You don't have to worry about the wrath of God. That's not what it's about. It's about entering into a relationship with Christ. You see, sin kicks God out of our life. Jesus came in his kingdom to bring God back into our life, 
The kingdom of God is near. How are we allowing that into our heart? The only adequate response of Jesus' gracious offer of the kingdom is with repentant lives. So maybe the doctor would ask you questions like, is it your passion, a growing passion, to do the will of God above all else? Do you have a, a growing longing to know Jesus more? To have a deeper walk with him? When we read Philippians 3, you'll see Paul's heart so many times. He expresses, I want to know Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings, the power of his resurrection. I want to know Jesus. The last example is that of two builders. Two builders build homes that I'm sure on the outside look very, very similar. But one was built on the rock and the other on the sand. Maybe maybe you've been at a beach or at a lake where you got the waves coming in and you're kind of standing on the sand and all of a sudden you just feel yourself slowly just sinking down. Well, that's what happened to this one home. The rains came, the waters rose, the winds beat against it. And it says it came to a great crash. And what was the difference of the two houses? You know, I'm sure the one man, Jesus calls the foolish man, heard him preach and said, you know what, Rabbi, that was a great sermon. Thank you. But then he left and didn't allow the words of Christ to make any difference in his life. Jesus said that there's two phrases he uses twice. I mean, there's one phrase, who hears my words and puts them into practice. Who hears my words and puts them into practice. You know, Jesus is wise enough. He is the creator, good enough, that his words are worthy to be built upon. He and his word to be the rock, the foundation of our lives. John goes on to write this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of a sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has or does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires will pass away. The house will crash. But he who does the will of God lives forever. He who builds his life upon the rock and upon his word lives forever. The only adequate response of Jesus' gracious offer of the kingdom is with a repentant life. A repentant heart that says, you know what, Jesus, I know that I love the world. I know that I walked with the world. I know that I built my life like the world says you're supposed to build it. And I know where that is headed. But now, Lord, I want to accept you for you are worthy to build my life upon. You are the king, bringing the kingdom. 
I want to build my life upon you. Are you building your life on Jesus and his words? Are you building your marriage on Jesus and his words? Are you building your home if you have kids on Jesus and his words? Where you all look to Jesus and his words to decide what to be committed to, how to spend your time, your priorities, your commitments. You see the contrast that Jesus is saying here? He's not saying, here, here's, here's one life, but, but here's just a little bit better life. No, he's saying this path leads to destruction. This path leads to life. This path leads to the tree being cut down and burned in the fire. This life leads to beautiful, good fruit for all to taste. This life is one that doesn't know me and will not be entered into the kingdom of God. Depart. This is the life that is welcomed into the kingdom of God, the growing knowledge of Jesus this life is one that is built upon the rock and stands the test of time and the challenges of life because Jesus is there. This one comes crashing down. You know what Jesus is not saying here? He's not saying become a better person because we can't. This is all about allowing the king, the one who came and did walk the difficult path and died for us so that he could offer us forgiveness of our sin. He defeated death for us so that we might experience life in him with a new heart, a new nature, building our life upon him and he offers us these two choices. And what will you choose? Following Jesus can be tough. It can be challenging, especially in a culture that goes farther and farther away from him and from the truth and from goodness. But it leads to blessedness. It leads to life. It leads to joy. It leads to strength. So when the challenges of life come, this life has a cost also, and it is a deeper cost. A life lived apart from Christ. Blessed is he. Jesus began this sermon with, he wants you to be blessed. But the only adequate response of his gracious offer of the kingdom is with the repentant life. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, come before your word this morning. Lord, uh, not always excited because these words are challenging, difficult and tough, but we know that they come from a, a great physician who loves us dearly. 
and wants us to experience the fullness of spiritual life. And so Lord, I pray that you would use your word this morning to fraud and poke us, stir us to think deeply about where our faith is, where our heart is. And if we've come to that point before you, and Lord, we know that you are a God of great beginnings, and maybe today could be a great beginning for someone who knows that they've been walking down the wrong path and the brokenness that it brings, that today is that new day to say yes to you and your offer of the kingdom, to seek your forgiveness, to seek your strength and your presence and only what you can offer as we walk with you. Lord, I pray that all of our lives may respond to your gracious offer of the kingdom with repentant hearts. Not just one moment, but each and every day, seeking to live out of your presence. In Jesus' name.